Everyone deserves a decent place to live. Everyone. Quiero mucho todos. Decent shelter is something we all need to thrive. Through shelter, we empower. Visit Habitat.org to donate today. And now, from the cheap seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. Welcome to the Cheap Seats, everybody. I'm Chris DeLambert. I hope you're having a great afternoon. Better than uh, half the state of North Carolina, Brandon. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I would say that. I agree with that. This is a this is a day. This is, I guess, in, in history going to be the day after Armageddon. Duke fans across the region thought this was locked up. This was a cinch. They had the easy run to the Final Four. They were playing their best basketball. We, you know, the deepest Duke team in years. Tatum had finally come to life. Jackson, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? They're at home watching the rest of the tournament. Yeah, it's a little crazy, isn't it? They <laughs> they ran into the Gamecocks, which nobody saw coming. Um, Jay Billis is still going to be Jay Billis next year, but he kind of looks a little silly trying to push them to be a number one seed going into this thing. But who saw that coming? I mean, and we'll touch on this a little bit later about how I think Coach K positions their teams going into the tournament sometimes when they only run a six or a seven um, man roster going into the tournament. But, well, you talked about it. And this, this bracket, the East, was theirs for the taking for certain. Um, you have said, you have told me for weeks and weeks and weeks that, that this was going to come back and this might haunt them, and it ultimately was true. Coach K can't help himself when he gets into the ACC tournament. And when he's got a chance to make a run, it doesn't matter how deep the bench is. It doesn't matter how many games they've got to play in, in you know X number of days. They're going to make the run to try to win the ACC tournament, and it's part of Coach K's legacy. I honestly believe watching that ball game last night, and I know that most of the country by – you know, eight o'clock tip off last night, I think it was, had basketball fatigue, looked at the schedule and said, I'm really just not down to watch Duke blow these guys out. And the, and the only other game going after that was uh, UCLA and Cincinnati. So I think a lot of people tur- tuned out. Uh, Walking Dead was on, you know. I know I was flipping back and forth a little bit for, for a little ways there. But you look at it and this was it was right for the taking for Duke. This this region, even this tournament, and they just ran out of gas. And frankly, had South Carolina shot better than twenty percent in the first first half, which is what they they came out at, um, they might have beat Duke by twenty five points last night. I couldn't agree more. Coach K is the best coach that's ever lived. That hurts you a little bit to say it that, hurts. though, doesn't it? It hurts not just a little bit, but a lot. <laughs> he is the Superman of college basketball. But even the Superman has a weakness. Kryptonite, right? Coach K's kryptonite is the ACC tournament. He cannot help himself. He could have the best team undefeated. He wants to win that tournament as badly as anybody has ever wanted to win it. And that may be a throwback philosophy from when that tournament is the only way it could get you in the tournament. He grew up with that 
under Bob Knight, not with the ACC, but that's an old school mentality. He's got to get rid of if he's he's already one of the greatest. He's the the one of the best ever. But just like Royal Williams with the timeouts, that's his kryptonite. He cannot move past the ACC tournament, and it killed him this time against a fresh, athletic. South Carolina team in their backyard, an hour away from Columbia. You got Carolina fans that got tired of hearing the Duke fans cheer on Arkansas, ready to rock and roll and cheer against Duke. Wait a minute, you're not supposed to talk about that. Okay. Yeah, because that didn't happen. You know, it was only the you know, it was the, the Carolina fans that showed no class last night rooting against Duke, but Duke fans never, ever, ever would have rooted against North Carolina. Not, not unless you have eyeballs and saw them have seats right behind Arkansas, um, not Arkansas's, but South Carolina. No, Arkansas's bench. So, yeah, the big video clip that's floating around Facebook today is the guy jumping around in the Carolina uniform, um, outfit with the South Carolina Gamecocks towel. But I clearly saw Duke behind the Arkansas bench. Well, for the rest of the country, you know, might look at that and they're, you know, scratching their heads a little bit, whatever the case might be. I've lived all over the country. Folks outside of, of the state of North Carolina, but in particular central North Carolina, they don't get it. They don't have any idea. All is fair in, in love and war right. and Duke UNC basketball. So, you know, that crowd, there was a lot of talk prior to the game. Well, it's a home game for South Carolina. Well, yeah. How many times Duke or UNC gotten to play at Greensboro for a regional? So that, that that doesn't wash. Not trying to hear it. The Greenville folks obviously was a you know you had a heavy South Carolina crowd. The UNC fans hung around afterwards to uh, to cheer on South Carolina. And really, frankly, uh, South Carolina made most of the country happy because Duke is sort of the they're the New England Patriots of of college basketball. They are. Let me say a couple of things about that. I was watching Sports Nation right before I came over here. And Michelle Beadle, if there's any Michelle Beadle Beadle posters flying, you know, out there, I would love to have one. She's like my hero. She knows sports and she's gorgeous. But what I will say is that Duke fans need to show up for these games. And we talked about this earlier, where it's nothing when you're playing a regional game in PNC Arena, where you can take a quick flight to RDU, be there in a few minutes. But when the majority of your Duke fans are potentially seemingly out of state, maybe up north, maybe in the New York, maybe. New Come Jersey on. area, and have to take a flight to RDU and then get in a car to go to South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah, they didn't turn out. Well, and, and as we talked about it earlier, it was almost sort of a Bermuda Triangle there. Because right. Greenville, when you look at major metropolitan airports, you're looking at RDU. Which is which is still a hall. I mean, that's not even the logical place to fly into. Uh, Charlotte, which is you know an hour and a half from Greenville, at least an hour, and then Atlanta right. is the same distance because Greenville sort of that that midway point between Charlotte and Atlanta. So it's not easy to get there without you know some real machinations. And when you start talking about first of all the the Central North Carolina fans traveling to Greenville, that's not a skip and a jump. No, um, not a whole lot farther than the South Carolina fans had to come from Columbia to to, uh, to Greenville. But that's another thing. But when you're start, you start talking about those those northeastern seaboard Duke fans, and people may not realize sitting at home, New York and New Jersey put more kids into Duke than North Carolina North Carolina does. That's a big base for them. You make it a little bit difficult for them to get to the ball game, and you see what happens when you get so vastly outnumbered at the regional. Um, 
they paid the price. That said, we still kind of have to celebrate this Duke team. When we look back and, and when, when you look at this team five or six years down the road in terms of the legacy at Duke and NBA players that come out of this program, I personally feel, and it's starting to get national run, I've been saying it for a month and a half since Tatum really asserted himself, all these diaper dandies, all these freshmen across the country, Lonzo Ball, uh, Josh Jackson, Malik Monk, um, Flutes, all the rest of them, Jason Tatum's the best freshman in the country in terms of that translating to the NBA. And I, I, I hesitated this morning when I did it, talking to a good friend of mine, but I almost invoked, I'm not going to lie, I did invoke the name of Kevin Durant. That's who he reminds me of. Not quite as long, but he plays facing the basket. He can take you. He's, he's deadly from beyond the arc. Um, his game is so well-rounded, you, you just can't get that type size um, ordinarily. And when you look at the other freshman big men that have come through Duke, neither one of them's had a heck of a lot of, of success at the NBA level for different reasons. But I think Jason Tatum is, is, is close to a stone-cold lock franchise-type player in the NBA as has come through Duke since Grand Hill. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and just who, who would have known going into the beginning of this year or into this tournament that Frank Jackson – would be the player to be talking talking about at the beginning of next year. Does Grayson Allen make it one more year, and or does he want to move on? You have Kennard. What's he going to do with his career? Can he can he have a better season than he's already had? Well, Tatum's gone. That, that's funny that you say that about Kennard because Kennard has to look at Grayson Allen and wonder how much money did Grayson Allen cost himself coming back because Grayson Allen last year was a lottery pick. This year, Grayson Allen is at best an end-of-the-first-round pick and really just kind of disappeared down the stretch. He's, that's going to cost him money. Kennard can't get a whole lot better. I mean, he's not that physical monstrosity you know, that's going to dominate off the dribble. Uh, but as far as shooting the ball, coming up big, and doing the rest of those things, Kennard doesn't really have much farther to go to reach any sort of ceiling. So, yes, he may be gone. Frank Jackson could leave, like you said. The cupboard may be bare for this Duke team, but when I look at it in terms of NBA-type talent, this is miles ahead from what we normally see at Duke. These just aren't the same type kids. Um, so this may be this may be something where we look back and we're like, how did they manage to underachieve like that? But maybe not. While we're in this region, don't want to enter. You know, th- there were a lot of interesting things happen, especially in the East, because Villanova went out to Wisconsin. Brandon, I have bashed the Big Ten relentlessly over the course of the last month and a half. In fact, I'm not afraid to admit it that on the air I, I said <laughs> the Big Ten would not put a single team into the into the Sweet 16. Right. Well, just like everybody else's bracket, mine got destroyed, and three of the six teams from the Big Ten that got in got through. Now, Wisconsin is the least surprising to me in that they are the most talented team in the Big Ten, and I think by a significant stretch. That Wisconsin team, I watched them play a dozen times this year easily. I'm a Big Ten fan first and foremost when it comes to basketball, college football. Um, Wisconsin, with the depth and the and the experience on that team, I thought underachieved, never was able to put it together. Um, in the first two rounds of the tournament, they played the best basketball I've seen them play all year. Nigel Hayes asserted himself in the post and was almost unstoppable. Ethan Happ, 
um, is one of the guys that got a chance to showcase himself nationally. Ethan Happ has led Wisconsin all year in every category there was to do. He's a complete player, great college basketball player. Koenig, the rest of those kids, they all showed up. Villanova, Villanova showed the world – I, I, I hate to bash and I hate to jump on the train because Villanova had a rough weekend. But is there anybody out there that really looked at the talent level at Villanova? If you set aside last year's championship and said, from a talent standpoint, that is the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament? No, the answer is no. And all you have to do is look a few years back. Before they won the national championship last year, they were viewed completely as underachievers. All right, that's an interesting thought. I want you to finish that when we come back after the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You grew up knowing you could do anything. As a soldier in the U.S. Army, you'll test your limits and feel the pride of doing things you never thought possible. With guaranteed training in one of more than 150 career fields, up to $40,000 cash enlistment bonus, you'll earn a steady paycheck, get money for college, and gain valuable experience while you learn how to be a valued team leader. To find out more, call your local Army recruiter or visit us at GoArmy.com. They're strong, and then there's Army Strong. The V Foundation and board member Robin Roberts are dedicated to declaring victory over cancer by funding cutting-edge research. Jim Valvano's greatest legacy is the V Foundation. You can help join the fight, give the gift of time. We need passion, we need teamwork and momentum. The time to act is now. There's not a moment to lose. Every dollar counts. Every day counts. To find out how you can join us to defeat cancer, please visit JimmyV.org. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. All right, before the break, Brandon, you were talking about Villanova and underachieving. I want you to I want you to elaborate on that. Well, no, what I was saying is that the knock on them, which is, you know, the knock on many great programs that put themselves in the position to win but don't win the big one. The knock on them is they were going in to the tournament with a lot of large, you know, high seeds and not getting it done. Of course, they make the run. But it seemed to me that they just didn't have a lot of experience 
enough of the horses. They weren't believable going into this tournament. And, you know, with the Big East being what it is, and I say that, you know, you have two, with an, saying it as an ACC fan that's got one team left in the tournament, the UNC <laughs> Chapel Hill say that, Tarkins, say that again for me, please. As an ACC fan <laughs> with one team left in the tournament, you have Big East with Butler and Xavier. That's not exactly, you know, it's not sexy, right? So the Big East didn't exactly represent themselves well. But Villanova, I felt they were the one team that was the no-brainer, number one seed all year long, but didn't really show you anything in terms of flash or sustainability throughout an NCAA tournament. No, and it's it's easy to look at, at Villanova. And I'm going to tell you, leading up to the tournament, as we did our analysis, I kept looking back at Villanova's track record and their strength of schedule and their wins. And it it was legit on paper. They just didn't pass the eye test. And, yeah, they got Josh Hart, you know, player of the year candidate. But when you watch them play, they just weren't a team that jumped out at you. Um, they I, it, they just didn't have that sexy, that it factor that you're talking about. Right. Now, when you look at, at, at Villanova in the past and you say, well, they came in with too high a seeding. Well, yeah, because they were playing in the Big East that was, you know, habitually overseeded. And now that the Big East is broken and been, you know, resurrected with what it is now, well, guess who gets overseeded every year? Yes, I said it. The ACC had no <laughs> business putting nine teams into this tournament. Okay. And 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 for people to actually have a conversation about the possibility of Syracuse being in is ridiculous. You know, there's got to kind of be a cutoff. And and I'm not a proponent of of coming in and and you know. Only the top five teams from a particular uh, conference can get in. But at some point, you've got to realize all these teams are doing, these middle-of-the-pack teams are just beating up on each other. All right. Go ahead. Say, Let me jump in your since, piece, you, sir. since you brought the ACC back into the conversation a little bit here. Um, one point I wanted to make was if you look at the East – how many people are so – how many people were really looking forward to the Duke-Villanova matchup? Looking forward to it? It was – the NCAA tries to pick these matchups and, in, in you know, in expectation that we're going to get a show. And now we're looking at Florida and Wisconsin, no offense to the rest, the Big Ten and SEC, and Baylor and South Carolina in the East. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that either Wisconsin, Florida, Baylor – or South Carolina is going to the Final Four. Right. That's, I mean, it's heresy. It's absolute lunacy that one of those four teams that we sit here today and say we know that one of them is going to the Final Four, that's bananas. Well, And I, then when you contrast that with some of the other brackets and the teams that are out there, um, yeah, it just kind of drives it home. Now, Baylor, I will say this. Baylor is as physically talented as anybody you want to see. That's just a team that has figured out how to lose ball games at inopportune times and never seems to be able to seal the deal. If Baylor plays well the rest of the way, Baylor has enough talent, particularly at the point guard position, they can win this whole thing. I don't look at any of the other four team or the uh, the other three teams in the East that are coming out and say they've got a legitimate shot to do this. Now, stranger things have happened, but Baylor is the one team. But by that, you know, in saying that, there is absolutely no certainty that Baylor is going to be the team that comes out of that and gets into the Final Four. 
Right. I think anybody can get out of that that bracket. The East is wide open, right? You don't know what you're going to get. Um, I would just say that back to what you said about you know Duke getting bumped earlier and bringing it back to the, the ACC, if I had one comment to make to the ACC, I would instruct their referees to, and I see the eye roll from Kristen Lambert right now, to let them play. It's a finesse league now. You have to have horses to run. These ACC teams that made the tournament this year are good teams. But when you get into the tur- in the NCAA tournament, you're pulling referees from all over the country, Big Ten, Big East. And they're not calling these fouls. They're not calling the go-to-the-rim fouls, the um, contested layup, contested rebound fouls. You have to make your league tougher, and I'm saying that. To, to reiterate what you were saying is that, yeah, maybe in the aspect, the ACC is overrated, but that would be the direction I would give to the ACC. Get Direct the, direct the referees to at least say, I'm not going to call these tic-tac fouls during the regular course of the season. So you, that sounds like some Belichick stuff right there. I'm going to direct the referees to call it the way that we want it to be called. Come on, man. Play basketball. Why don't you tell your, why don't you tell your, your ACC officials during conference play to call it tighter. Well, we got in some Big East competition here in the league, right? And I think there's been some adjustments made. It made. I think that um they can call it tighter, but you can't really, you can't play your regular season, your eight, your championship conference season, for from any of the rules than what are giving. So you go to, let you say if you're in the Big East, you. You do your whole Big East schedule, and they're calling it letting it go. Everything is like a wrestling match, right? And then you can transition right into the NCAA tournament, and it's called the exact same way. Like, I mean, that seems a little unfair to me, but you can call me a homer if you want. It's it's just a matter of circumstances, and the Big Ten has a similar beef when you look at, at, at the bowl games that are played, whether it's the National Championship Series or whether it's just a you know bowl out in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. Those guys are playing in an environment where it's, you know, five degrees and bad weather. Their teams are their teams are constructed that way. And then they get out there and they play in Pasadena in 85-degree weather for their bowl game. And, you know, Pac-12 teams are running past them or they're playing SEC teams. And they're like, oh, look at that SEC speed. It's superior. Yeah, bring that SEC team up to Wisconsin and play in five feet of snow and see how that works out. The ACC needs to adapt and call it tighter if they feel like that's a that's something that's getting them in, in postseason is causing them a problem. It's an interesting point you make. Last thing on the East, though, before we jump off of it, in terms of adapting, South Carolina, the Gamecocks adjusted. They started shooting threes early on. They didn't, you know, bail. You know, the temptation was there to try to shoot threes against a Duke team when they got up early. They bailed that on that philosophy, started getting – you know, points in the paint started getting points on the fast break, and that's what ended up winning them the, the game. So well, there's there, there's plenty of takeaways, and yes, that is a that is a factor. But the way South Carolina destroyed destroyed Duke on the on the offensive glass, I, I mean, was was crazy. Then you take into account that you know whether you whether you had it right with regard to you know the energy spent during the ACC tournament or whatever it was. By the time we got to the middle of the second half, Duke wasn't even running back on defense. I mean they were spent. They they were they were burnout. 
Um, and I don't know how much of that was emotional because he had the crowd going with him, uh, and there was a sense of frustration because everything South Carolina seemed to do. South Carolina, here's a stat for you. South Carolina scored 65 points in the second half of that ball game. That's the most in South Carolina history, and it's wow. the most that a Coach K team has ever given up in a half. So, I mean, everything just sort of aligned. But watching that game, I really felt like after, you know, when, when South Carolina got on a run, I was like, man, I can't believe that, that Duke kept it that close after having been dominated the way they were. They could have easily lost that game by 25 or 30 points. Now, just to recap and, and, and roll us forward here, you've got Wisconsin, Florida, and Baylor, South Carolina in the Sweet 16. Now, Vegas has Florida as a one-and-a-half-point favorite against Wisconsin. I don't even feel like it's going out on a limb. I think Wisconsin beats Florida. I would have to agree with that just with the eye test. And I know a lot of people don't like the eye test, but I'm sorry. I've watched enough. I played some, a little basketball a long time ago. I know enough to know what I'm seeing. And the eye test tells you that Wisconsin must have just been in a funk during their regular season. Like They're long. They can produce all these tall players that are athletic, can score around the basket, can score away from the basket, and defend. It's hard to, hard to shoot over these guys. So I would just say Wisconsin runs away with this thing, in my opinion. Wow. So you're, you don't even think it'll be close. No. All right. So in the game before that, at 7.30 on Friday – is Baylor, South Carolina. And I, I think that South Carolina is a neat story. Right. If Baylor shows up and plays their ball game, they will blow the doors off of South Carolina. That's my feeling about it. But I don't think there was anybody in the country that really honestly predicted that South Carolina was going to was gonna beat Duke. So who knows? Maybe, they're the, maybe they are really, truly the Cinderella story this time around, and they find a way to beat Baylor. Um, what are your thoughts? I think it comes down to South Carolina. The Gamecocks got a really good draw, being where they were. Um, and they probably spent all of their energy beating Duke to a pulp <laughs> in front of like a, which was, you know, as they can, I'll try to be, you know, I don't, I'm trying not to be biased, but it's interesting when a team that talented in Duke can be beat, beaten by a team of relative no names. From you know Columbia, um, they did have the home court advantage, if you want to say that. But it was very interesting. I think Baylor runs away with that one, just based on the fact that South Carolina probably spent they spent everything on the court to be Duke. Well, the, the players aside, I'm going to tell you what South Carolina had going for them. Alex English was in the house, buddy. Oh wow, how cool was that? Nuggets. Yeah, Alex English, one of my favorite players of all time. I've got an I've got a a Denver's Nuggets throwback Alex English hanging in my closet that I wear around the house on occasion. Alex English was one of the sweetest shooters there ever was. Uh, back when the the Western Conference in the NBA was so wide open, love to see him out there. Love to see him fired up, taking selfies and hanging out. And Frank Martin. Frank Martin's a serious guy. I thought a couple of times during the game, and then in the post game. Frank Martin was going to take a swing at somebody. We'll take a quick break. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Atkin. You might not love your seats, but you'll love the show.
When I was just a tiny baby, I was stolen from my parents. I was imprisoned in a cramped cage and was touched and photographed completely against my will, solely for somebody's profit. Then I started to grow bigger, and they locked me away for life. If you knew that was the life of a tiger cub, would you still pay to pet her? Learn how they're exploited through petting and photo ops at cubabuse.com. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today, or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve.